Hello and welcome. My name is Ed Reed, and I'm head of training here at Cornwall Insights. Uh, today, I am joined by my colleagues uh, Emma Bill and Kate Morley, both analysts in our uh, regulation team. And today, the three of us are going to be discussing the off-gen program for faster switching and uh, elements of the retail energy code, which underpin uh, the rules for that uh, program of work. And the reason we're discussing this topic at the moment is it's been a long-running program of work, but now coming to the business end of this this work stream as the, the hard work is beginning to be codified in the Retail Energy Code. And before we begin, though, um, I just thought I'd let you know that our next edition of our Faster Switching Service will be issued uh, towards the end of February, and we'll provide a little more detail of that towards the end of the session. So I think, first of all, I'll, I'll turn my attention to Kate. Hi, Kate. How are you doing? Hiya. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, all good, good. So I think, I mean, before we get into too much of the detail, I guess, it'd be, um, well, I suppose we should ask ourselves the question, you know, what, what is the faster, more reliable switching programme? Yeah, so it's one of Ofgem's key work streams um, and it aims to enable faster and more reliable switching. And it's thought that this will encourage uh, energy customers to switch because it will allow them to uh, access cheaper tariffs more quickly and also increase their confidence with the switching process. And this also has the potential to increase competition among suppliers as well as innovation, um, which could also uh, result in consumer benefits. And the overall goal of the programme is um, to reduce switching timescales so that after initiating a switch, a domestic consumer can be with their uh, chosen supplier by midnight of the next working day with an extra 24 hours built in for non-domestic consumers, which provides the losing supplier with a slightly longer obligations period. Yeah. Okay. So then, and then there's obviously some kind of work that Ofgem's done to sort of try and validate some of these benefits, I guess. Is there any intel on that? Um, yeah. So they have done an impact assessment. So that considered three different scenarios and uh, that kind of looked at how this could increase switching. So the third scenario assumed that the programme would see a 15% increase in switching rates uh, in the first year above the baseline, an increase of 5% for years two and three and 3% for remaining years. But it also showed that it uh, can improve the reliability of switching as well and is expected to reduce erroneous transfers uh, by around a third with reductions uh, in failed switches as well. Okay, um, so there's obviously um, the potential for some quite significant customer benefits here and I guess for the industry as well, certainly uh, reducing erroneous transfers and failed switches. Um, I guess there's going to be quite a kind of infrastructure or uh, system change required to allow this to happen. Uh, yes, definitely. So, so the switching process will be handled through a um, a new central switching service, which will be a change. So that will uh, replace the existing gas and electricity switching services that are in place at the moment. And that will be run by the data communications company or DCC. And uh, under the new arrangement as well, uh, switches will be supplier initiated, which will be a change for the gas industry because currently these are uh, shipper led. Okay, so yes, of course, and I guess we've had the retail market as we kind of see it today for around well at least twenty years, I guess, and um, 
yes, there's been incremental change to switching, but there's always been quite separate processes for gas and electricity. So that'd be interesting to bring together uh, and make it a truly kind of dual fuel switching process, uh, I guess. So given all that hard work that's gone on to sort of define what the benefits are uh, and set out uh, what's required, I guess it'd be interesting to know, you know, where are we at the moment? Okay, yeah. So the go live of this faster switching program was originally planned for the end of last year. It was then pushed back uh, to mid-2021 and it's now been delayed further to mid-2022, which was due to COVID-19 and kind of a six-month relief period that was put into place uh, for that. And following that uh, six-month relief period, Ofgem carried out a full plan review with the final kind of issue of that in autumn last year. And this set out a timeline of steps for the programme parties to follow going forward. And they are required to make sure uh, that their plans are aligned with these updated plans. And part of that is the user entry process testing, which is due to start in May of this year. And this is a testing phase that requires the parties to run a kind of defined series of tests to demonstrate that their systems can connect to the central switching service, but also to demonstrate that they can act as users of the new switching arrangements as well. So that's interesting. So it is getting to the towards the business end, I guess. Um, is there anything to say around the kind of governance then, the actual the need to sort of you know, change the rule book or update the rule book, create a new rule book as in the uh, retail energy code? Yeah, so as you mentioned earlier, Ed, Um, The Retail Energy Code is a new dual fuel code for suppliers, which will kind of govern and underpin the new switching arrangements uh, when they go live in 2022. So coming up sort of in the pipeline is the transfer of different services into that code. And that is uh, also known as retail code consolidation. So we've seen the REC kind of evolve over time. So version uh, one of the REC or Retail Energy Code, was designated on the 1st of February 2019. And this sets out the transitional requirements uh, for the code parties. So this includes things like governance, performance assurance, and change management, and uh, essentially acts as a guide uh, for the parties as the new uh, switching arrangements are developed. And then we've also got the interim version 1.1, which recently came into force. um, And this kind of further develops those governance and kind of performance assurance arrangements for the REC, as well as the transfer of the management of energy theft related schemes, which will uh, kind of be transferred into the REC in April of this year. So that includes things like the uh, Theft Risk Assessment Service or the TRAS, as it's probably better known, uh, and also the Energy Theft Tip-Off Service as well. And then we've also got REC version 2 and Retail Code Consolidation, which are due to go live on the 1st of September this year. So that will bring together content from the Master Registration Agreement or MRA for electricity and the Supply Point Administration Agreement or SPA for gas into the REC, but also uh, other retail code provisions as well. So things like the Green Deal arrangements uh, and metering codes of practice. So for example, the smart metering installation code of practice. And when it does go live in uh, September, REC version 2 will supersede uh, and replace the current transitional arrangements that are in place for the switching programme with enduring arrangements. 
Right, so it's obviously then this coming months and as the industry beds in further versions of the actual code itself, undertake user testing, and then different bits of rules are over time sort of assumed, assimilated into the rec. I guess um, that means there's going to be a lot of change for those that are impacted the most, I suppose, directly, which will be uh, suppliers. Um, and I guess um, one for you, Emma. Hello, Emma. How are you doing? Hi, Ed. Hi, Kate. How are you? Yeah, we're all good. Yeah. And um, just, just on that point, I guess, uh, around your views and thoughts around what the implications from a compliance perspective may be sure. for suppliers in particular of these, these new arrangements. Yeah. So, yeah, you mentioned suppliers there. So I guess if we go to the gas and electricity supply licenses first, um, we've got standard license condition 14A. This is the customer transfer license condition. And this sets out that a switch must be completed within 21 days or 15 working days, whichever way you look at it. And obviously this is going to change with the new arrangements. And the, the change will be that rather than 21 days, it will be um, a switch should be completed within five working days. So that's the standstill period that, that comes into play before obviously suppliers transition to next day switching. That's quite a change then in terms of the timetable and I suspect yeah that will have potential uh, issues for, for suppliers. Yeah, I think um, there are a number of um, license obligations to to sort of talk about around this. Obviously, we've had the move to principles-based regulations as well. So, yeah, on, on sort of the changes to the supply licences, um, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, yeah, you're right, Ed, quite a big change from, you know, 21 days to five working days. Um, obviously, Kate also talked about next day switching for domestic customers. Although Ofgem has said in, in one of its recent consultations that it doesn't plan to reflect next day switching in the licence immediately. But of course, there are other obligations that suppliers need to consider with the move to principles based regulation that we've seen over the last few years. So I think um, suppliers obviously need to think about the standards of conduct which is, you know, the overarching principle of the supply license and that requires suppliers to treat customers fairly, the informed choices principle and Ofgem's. Uh, customer communications rules. So basically, if you're talking about switching, I think suppliers need to think about how they communicate the new switching timeframes uh, so that customers are able to act in their own best interests and sort of get the best deal. And, and, you know, suppliers have to do this now in their communications, but I guess they need to consider a customer's preferences and characteristics when they are putting out any switching related communications. Because um, it will, I guess it will be a, it's one change for the suppliers, but also translating that to consumers and getting that message across that things have changed as well. So I guess there's, that's that's the sort of license element to it. But I understand as well that sort of outside the license, there are guaranteed standards. There's a performance, I think, uh, to do with switching, which were introduced as part of this program. I just wondered if you've had anything to, to say around those elements as well. Yeah, I think I think this has come up um, in quite a few of the consultations as well. Um, you know, the potential conflicts that might arise from the guaranteed standards of performance for switching. So just as a brief overview, Ed, um, these sort of came in two separate parts. So we had um, the first tranche of switching guaranteed standards come in in May 2019, and then the second tranche came in in May last year. So the guaranteed standards of performance, they're not set out in the license as such. So they are set out in separate statutory instruments and um, Suppliers need to submit basically the metrics around their performance to each of the standards um, under standard license condition five, uh, which is around the provision of, of information. So that's sort of the background. And then 
uh, if we look at the standards themselves, there are seven switching guaranteed standards of performance. Some of these will be impacted by the new arrangements and others less so. So the ones that I guess won't be immediately um, impacted are the requirements around final bills um, to be issued within six weeks of a switch and requirement to uh, refund customer credit balances um, and the timings related to that. But if we look at the other standards, which require a, a supplier to make a £30 compensation payment when they don't meet it, at the moment, if a gaining supplier doesn't complete the switch within 21 days, which is, um, as I said before, set out in the licence, they'll be required to pay a £30 compensation. But of course, when, when the licence is amended to reflect the five working day standstill um, period, that, that standard will be redundant and be required amending or, or otherwise. Um, and then the second one I just wanted to flag is sort of the guaranteed standard around erroneous transfers. So again, suppliers have to pay this £30 compensation when they switch the wrong metre point. And often has said that it doesn't plan to introduce any penalties beyond this for suppliers who, who want to switch faster than five working days. So this is a standard that looks to be in place. And let's say, for example, a supplier wanted to switch within the five working day standstill period. If they wanted to switch a customer sooner and closer to the next day aim, then they would still potentially be subject to a payment if they didn't meet that standard. So that, that's one that's going to endure the arrangements, I believe. Okay, so there's updating of standards that are required, probably, uh, if that's the decision to, to meet the uh, new arrangements and others then are indicated will kind of remain because they're still fit for purpose uh, for whatever they're trying to achieve. Um, I guess, I mean, given we're talking about um, switching in the retail space here as well, I mean, it's it's obviously not all about suppliers, given how heavily brokered the sector is. So obviously we have price comparison websites that are very active in the domestic market and in uh, the non-domestic market. Market. We, we certainly have a high proportion of contracts uh, that are uh, brokered by third-party uh, intermediaries. And I guess, I mean, I suppose it strikes me there are some threats and opportunities here. I suppose the opportunity being if, if Ofgem's assessment that this could lead to increased levels of switching, then I suppose that could only be a good thing for those uh, that are brokering uh, contracts between suppliers and customers. I'm not sure, though, if it means anything around a system refresh or update for the, the brokers themselves having to uh, move data around perhaps more rapidly than they do today. And I just maybe it's also an opportunity for auto switches, I guess, um, particularly in times when suppliers are changing prices uh, frequently. But I just wondered if you had any other thoughts or views, uh, Emma, around you know what the implications perhaps could be for, for those parties? I guess for that, we could potentially look to some of the recent developments we've seen um, from Bayes and also Ofgem. So, of course, we've got the Energy White Paper, which is very frequently referenced, um, and Ofgem's Forward Work Programme. Um, so within these, of course, you know, there are many uh, proposals which cover the entire energy system. But here we're talking about some of the retail policy proposals within these documents. And I think the things to pull out here that might be relevant for switching and particularly the role of TPIs, price comparisons websites in, in that process are the plans for consulting on opt-in switching. So, um, I mean, we're in February now. So next month, we're actually expecting um, a consultation on the design, testing and scaling up of opt-in switching by mid-2020. I mean, the 
this is in the energy white paper so they sort of um, refer to the switching trials that Ofgem has conducted over the years noting that these trials in particular were the most successful at removing as many of the barriers to the switching process as possible. So this is something that looks like it's going to be taken forward and consulted on next month. And then um, we're also expecting another consultation again next month around how the current auto renewal and rollover tariff arrangements could be reformed. So the idea is to sort of um, reform these to facilitate greater competition. Um, and part of these proposed reforms is set to include how how opt-out switching uh, could be tested. Okay, interesting. And I suppose, I mean, given where we are at this moment in time and the impacts of uh, COVID and, and, and the lockdown, I mean, it, I think it's uh, true to say that a number of um, brokers and, and indeed suppliers, of course, are, are struggling, which amongst other things are probably going to impact on uh, their ability to engage with a, a work programme such as this. So it'd be interesting to know if there's anything being done to improve that engagement or facilitate that engagement. Yeah, so that, that's a really good point, um, Ed, particularly about getting TPIs on board um, in the process. So we've obviously, we, we've seen a lot of work over the past year or so via the Consumer Journey Forum, which was set up to sort of um, identify those issues that might impact uh, the switching process where, you know, price comparison websites are, are also involved. I've got a figure here from the CMA Energy Market Investigation on, on price comparison websites. So, I mean, around 60% of domestic consumers do use a PCW so you've said it before absolutely right that they are a big you know they do play a key role this week as well we had some news that um, as the retail energy code company is sort of gearing up this year they're starting their engagement activity they confirmed um, recently that they'd be taking forward this work uh, that was led by the consumer journey forum so they are going to take that and the aim is to facilitate sort of more structured engagement between price comparison websites and suppliers um, and they'll look at the implications of program implementation. So I think that that's a really positive development actually. Of course um, going back to one of the points raised earlier we are in now you know user entry process testing this year coming towards the end so I think it's really important development as well as a really positive one. Yeah, sounds it. It uh, sounds like the very correct thing to do. So it's finally on, on, on this element of where we are at the moment. Are there any other kind of risks or challenges you can foresee with the programme? From my sort of experience of the programme so far, I guess it would be, and I think we touched upon this earlier, just sort of at the moment, you know, suppliers, they're facing a number of issues, COVID-19 being one of them. Um, of course, you know, We've seen the regulator respond to that when it sort of first came about, but obviously this is this has gone on for some time now, and suppliers are still having to focus on core business needs and COVID nineteen responses. So of course suppliers are dealing with that, and that does um, you know I believe impact some suppliers' ability to to sort of engage with these extra you know some suppliers might call them extracurricular activities, and so I think that's always going to be um, a potential risk. Um, and also at the moment we have um, issues with a volatile volatile wholesale market with a number of um, market participants under financial strain. I believe the programme actually is is monitoring these risks. So I think parties can be reassured that if it does become clear that um, resources can no longer be, you know, directed to the programme for a period, um, you know, that, that will be addressed. So I don't think it's anything to worry about. Okay, great. And um, I suppose that leaves us really just to ask um, if you've got any views, Emma, on what you think a um, post-faster switching landscape may look like. 
So I think, you know, we can have a look to, you know, beyond mid 2020 going forward. Kate, earlier in the podcast, she sort of um, pulled out the figures from Ofgem's impact assessment, sort of a 15% uh, increase in, in switching in the first year, I believe. Um, but I think, so I think we will, you know, we will expect to see sort of increased uh, switching among consumers. But I think it sort of goes back to some of the things we discussed as well about how is this communicated to the wider public, obviously bringing in to play Ofgem's customer communications rules. And, you know, they might, they have a lot more flexibility now in how they communicate with customers. So, you know, we might see some changes there and um, some, some sort of communications working better than others. And um, I think one another point that I've been thinking about as well is um, at the start of this month, we also saw the announcement of the price cap increase, increase of around £100 um, in October. And, and along with that increase, Ofgem, Ofgem did mention, didn't they, that um, customers should, should continue to shop around for a better deal. So I think there are a number of factors at play, um, the programme obviously being a big part in, in increasing that engagement, but there are other things um, that are happening in the market as well. Of course, yeah. And I guess, I mean, I suppose my two pennies worth on this, it's been quite a long running programme, hasn't it? So I think it was initially mooted back in 2014, I believe. And um, so we've come quite so quite far now. But I suppose this is also in the context of other initiatives we've touched upon around white paper proposals to increase switching amongst other things. So I guess, uh, you know, for the, the coming years of this decade, we'll see how uh, the retail market um, changes. So I think that's probably where we'll wrap it up now because we've been quite comprehensive there talking about uh, faster switching and some of the elements of retail energy codes. So I guess it just uh, leaves me to say thank you to Kate and Emma. Thank you very much. And um, I don't know if one of you wanted to say a little bit more, perhaps Kate, about um, one of our products that is uh, relevant to this. Yeah, so we have our spring edition of the faster switching service that we offer. And this provides a walkthrough of the switching program, the retail energy code that we discussed earlier and the associated schedules, as well as kind of details on the latest development of the program. So things like uh, consultations, any decisions that have been made and any announcements, um, but also kind of an overview of program meetings as well. So if you're interested in having a look, do get in touch with us. Great. Thanks, Kate. And uh, no, very interesting and useful and timely product there. So I guess it just uh, leaves me to say I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Thank you for listening and um, hope you'll be in touch with us soon.